This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. I just got back from 30 days of elk hunting in northern Arizona in Unit 9, and I will be covering all of the details of that hunt in upcoming episodes I had a great time uh, with my hunter, Vince Lightfoot from Oregon. He was able to harvest his 33rd bull elk, and uh, we just had a great, great time. It was a challenging hunt at times, um, and we'll go into some of the details on that. But uh, uh, Vince was able to harvest his largest bull that he, he's ever killed. I uh, had uh, family and friends come up on the hunt and uh, got to share a lot of great memories. Um, got us. I want to go over a few things. Um, uh, this episode is going to be with Daniel Franco of Burnt Timber Outfitters, and we're going to be talking about the mule deer hunting in Unit 3C. Uh, I know that there's I've had some emails from listeners that have uh, mule deer tags uh, coming up uh, at the end of October here, and uh, the the unit that we're going to cover this this episode is in Unit 3C with Daniel Franco, uh, Burnt Timber Outfitters. Uh, I just want to give you guys a heads up. We are going to be covering a bunch of topics here over the next couple of months. Uh, elk hunting, uh, we're going to recap uh, all of the elk hunts uh, with several of, of uh, different outfitters and different people that have had elk tags. Uh, we are going to be covering a lot of ground on coos deer early season, uh, the November season, and the late season coos deer hunts. Uh, tactics and strategies, uh, as well as the mule deer hunts, uh, the strip hunts, kaibab hunts, and uh, some of the other hunts across the western U.S. Uh, we're also going to be uh, covering a lot on elk hunting um, and uh, also sheep hunting. Uh, we're going to be doing quite a bit on desert bighorn sheep hunting and Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep hunting. Um, so got a lot of great stuff uh, coming and uh, I just wanted to point a few things out uh, uh, before we get into this episode. I appreciate you guys' patience. I got back from 30 days of elk hunting and there's been about a week lapse uh, in the last uh, podcast episode, which you know I try and do at least two a week. So I uh, appreciate your patience. I've got an uh, overwhelming amount of emails uh, and Facebook messages uh, asking when the next podcast episode would be airing. And uh, just just want to make sure that we keep the content fresh here, but I appreciate the little bit of a break. Um, anytime you're gone for 30 days, it takes a little bit to uh, get settled back in and get into our routine here. So um, I'll, I want to say, how about those ASU Sun Devils? Uh, uh, Saturday night, uh, beating the number seven ranked uh, UCLA Bruins. Um, you know, ASU's had a tough season so far. Um, for all you U of A Wildcat uh, supporters out there, in my mind, there's only one game that matters. Um, but I did want to point out that uh, ASU had a great game against UCLA. I knew they had it in them and thought they played real tough up front. 
um, played played a real good first half, and um, uh, their offense uh, came through and shined. But they played great defensively as well. So, um, guys, uh, Dead Eye Outfitters, as you know, is uh, one of the sponsors of this podcast. And Dead Eye Outfitters is doing their annual breast cancer awareness design again. They're donating 10% of all the proceeds to breast cancer research. Uh, the men's and women's shirts are currently available on their website, www.deadeyeoutfitters.com. Be sure to use the promo code JSCOTT to save 10% on all your purchases. Uh, pick up some Dead Eye Outfitters and wear your obsession. Uh, it's an awfully nice gesture of them to donate 10% of their proceeds uh, to breast cancer awareness. So let's support them, guys, and uh, use the J. Scott promo code, and you'll also save 10% on your purchases. Um, I also wanted to um, tell you there's a big announcement coming from GoHunt.com uh, that I will share on the next episode, um, and it, it's a big one. And it's going to be exciting, uh, especially for the J. Scott podcast listeners. So um, be sure to tune in on the next episode and we'll announce what's going on with GoHunt.com. Also, be sure to go to GoHunt.com and check out their uh, lineup of landowner tags. If you're still looking for a hunt, uh, they've got a bunch of hunts under their landowner uh, program there. And um, you can find a bunch of good hunts still on their site. Uh, don't forget to sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Um, speaking of Kuyu, um, some people had been asking me, I wore those Kuyu uh, Tiburon shorts uh, all summer uh, fishing out of my raft uh, in Colorado and uh, wore them every day. Um, had, had a couple different pairs and just basically just wore them all the time and wore them up at elk camp and I uh, had a lot of people ask me how I like them absolutely love the Kuyu shorts um, they're just awesome that's the only word I can just use to describe them uh, they breathe very well they're very light very comfortable love those shorts um, I, I, I want to also tell you guys my hats off to John McClendon uh, and his hunter uh, James Murphy uh, John McClendon, uh, the day before I came home, uh, back to, uh, Phoenix, um, I went by John's camp and saw the bull that, uh, James Murphy had harvested. Uh, he harvested, uh, Dozer and, uh, Dozer is a bull that's John thinks is 12 or 13 years old. And many, many people have had encounters and had, uh, photos and video of Dozer. Uh, but John's hunter James was able to harvest him, I believe, on the uh, 11th evening of the hunt, uh, 11th afternoon. And I was able to hear the story uh, in full from John and his hunter. And um, looks like Dozer uh, growth score, preliminary camp scores around 408. And um, he's just a legend of Unit 9. And um, it was exciting to hear how that all went down. And, and uh, we should be having James here on the podcast uh, so that you guys can all hear how how that hunt went down and um, it was just a real interesting year uh, I've been getting feedback from friends and and uh, fellow outfitters all across the state and all across the western states and um, we're going to cover a bunch of ground uh, over the next few episodes and uh, get to the bottom of the elk rut of 2015 and and uh, see what we can learn from it so 
Um, guys, I hope you enjoy this uh, episode with uh, Daniel Franco, a uh, good friend of mine out of Heber, Arizona, uh, salt of the earth guy, uh, as good a guy as you'll ever meet. Great outfitter, uh, born and raised right there in the unit, and um, it's going to be a great episode. Uh, I want to thank you guys for all, all of the emails and all of your support. Uh, while I was uh, elk hunting, um, met a lot of you out in the field. Um, ran into, uh, I ran into a former uh, Cardinal quarterback, uh, Stoney Case, uh, out in the field. And um, I introduced myself, and he introduced himself. And I said, hey, I used to watch you play football. And he says, hey, I listened to your podcast. So uh, pretty cool encounter out there in the field. I'm going to have Stoney here on the podcast uh over the next couple months, and um, it's nice to see uh, Stony and and uh, someone that I admired uh, watching uh, play football. And uh, it's halftime right now. The Cardinals are um, uh, they're behind uh, the St. Louis Rams, uh, ten to nine, and uh, hopefully they'll have a great uh, second half here. And and uh, they're off to a great start. Hopefully they can go four and zero. So. Um, guys, I want to thank you for all your support. Uh, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along uh, on my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. You can also hashtag your photos on Instagram, hashtag jscottoutdoors. Uh, just overwhelming support from you guys, um, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, you can also follow along on my YouTube channel on J. Scott Outdoors Facebook and, of course, on my blog, uh, jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, I wanted to end by telling you that um, the 10 most played episodes on the J. Scott Outdoors Western, Hunt, uh, Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing podcast, uh, episode number 50, Field Judging, uh, part one with uh, – my friend Craig Steele, that's number one. Uh, a, a recent newcomer, uh, episode 72, Joel Turner elk calling techniques uh, and covering archery target panic has jumped all the way to number two. Uh, episode 51, uh, field judging elk part two with Craig Steele. Uh, number four on the list is maximizing your success and learning to be efficient with Chris Rowe, episode 67. Episode 63, Bow Hunting Elk Tactics, uh, again with Craig Steele. Episode 41, Row Hunting Resources Elk Interview. Uh, that that that's, uh, takes the number six spot. Number seven, uh, again, Why It Matters with Chris Rowe of Row Hunting Resources. Uh, number eight, uh, episode 53 with Stephen Rinella, good friend, host of the Meat Eater TV show. Um whom we're going to have on the podcast uh, here here again uh, soon. Uh, number nine, uh, episode 66, the Rich Outdoors podcast uh, with Cody Rich. Uh, if you haven't listened to his podcast, uh, it, it's a good one. You need to check it out. And then number 10, episode 14, Burnt Timber Outfitters, Daniel Franco and Mike Hancock talking about elk hunting in Arizona Unit 1 and 3C. So, so far, that's the top 10 uh, most played episodes. Um, guys, with all, with your support, we are on our way to a million downloads. And um, I have uh, no one to thank but you guys uh, uh, for all your support, also my sponsors. 
but just overwhelmed with uh, and humbled by the uh, uh, by the support you guys uh, give the podcast. So uh, let's get right to the episode with uh, Daniel Franco, and uh, uh, can't wait to share a bunch of stuff with you guys this fall. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got good buddy of mine, Daniel Franco, with Burnt Timber Outfitters out of Heber, Arizona. And today we're going to talk about mule deer hunting in Unit 3C. Uh, Daniel's born and raised in Unit 3C there in Heber, and I'm excited to get his uh, inside knowledge on what's going on up there in 3C. Daniel, how you doing? Great. It's uh, great to have you back on. We had you and your partner, Mike Hancock, in Burnt Timber Outfitters uh, on talking about elk in Unit 1 and 3C, and it's still one of the most popular podcast episodes on, on, on the podcast here. So wanted to have you back on. Uh, sorry we couldn't get Mikey on, but um, we'll get him on another time talking about something else. Um, I'm excited to hear about uh, 3C and the mule deer and to get your take on how things are going up there, um, I thought I would point out that uh, you know you're very well known for uh, being a great elk guide, uh, but you're somewhat of a, a little deer snob yourself. Um, <laughs> you uh, you shot a 193-inch mule deer with your bow and a 196-inch uh, Kansas whitetail with your bow in the same year, and uh, you're actually kind of a closet coos deer hunter. Um, you love coos deer, I know, and um, so I'm anxious to pick your brain. How you been doing? Good, good. Been doing real good. That's awesome. Um, what's going on up there with conditions uh, as far as rainfall? How has this summer been? Uh, absolutely phenomenal. It's been uh, by far the wettest summer we've ever had. Um, I think I heard somebody mention, I'm not exactly sure if this is true, but I heard uh, somebody mention that we had 14 days of measurable rain in June. Um, Which is usually our driest month. Oh, oh yeah. I, I can remember n- numerous Junes where we didn't get a, a single sprinkle. Um, and, and we had, man, we had more rain in, in June than, than I've ever seen. Uh, May was wet. June, uh, it rolled right into July. Our monsoons kicked in and it's been it's been going ever since. So, uh, definitely, definitely one of our wettest summers that, that I've ever seen in my 22 years of being alive. I'm just kidding. I'm a little older than that, but <laughs> 22, <laughs> come on, double that. Come, what are yeah, you? 40? Not as old as you. You're, you're 40, aren't you? I am 40 years old. Oh boy. oh boy. It's all downhill from here. Um, but Daniel, you're born and raised there and, and you've lived there for 40 years, right? Yeah. Born and raised here, been been playing in these woods ever since I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, for the listeners that don't know, um, obviously 3C, and you can tell me the year, but I want to say it was 2000 or 2002 maybe, um, the big rodeo Chetiskai fire blew through there. And tell me how you know, where you were in your stage of life then and how old you were and what you remember about the Rodeo Cheddar Sky Fire. Uh, I want to say it burned over a million acres, but you can probably correct me on all that. Um, Tell me about the Rodeo Cheddar Sky Fire coming through there and and, uh, what you did and and all that went down. Oh, well, it was in 2002. Um, It was in, uh, 
about the middle of June uh, of 2002. Um, I was, oh, not newly married, but fairly newly married. I had uh, uh, two kids at that time and uh, just living here in, in Heber. Um, the rodeo fire actually started first closer to, to Sholo. Um, and then about a week later, the Chetiskai fire started. They ended up merging and uh, pretty much burning the majority of, uh, of Unit 3C south of Highway 260 between, uh, between Highway 260 and the Fort Apache Reservation. Um, I was uh, living in Heber, working here. Um, they actually called for an evacuation, and uh, all of the, the women and children ended up leaving. Um, myself and my brother and my neighbor uh, decided to, to stay behind to kind of see, you know, if there was anything we could possibly do to save our homes. Uh, by the time the dust cleared, there ended up being about 35 men in my neighborhood and surrounding area that all ended up staying. Um, and uh, we kind of were the behind the scenes guys here in town and uh, kept reports you know, to people, um, when it, when it came through, it was, uh, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. It was just raw, awesome power of mother nature. Um, it burned, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say it burned close to 50 houses, uh, in Heber and Overgard. Um, and, uh, just crazy. Just one of those things you never, never imagined, but, uh, kind of- Daniel, when it got close, could you hear it? Oh, oh yeah, it, it sounded like a sounded like an airplane, um, like the jet engine of an airplane, um, just just screaming. We were actually um, we were up on a on a third story deck of a house, um, surrounded by huge pine trees, and it came over the ridge. And I mean, it sounded like a jet engine just at, at full speed. And there was loud pops and bangs from the trees exploding. Um, and I'll tell you what, it moved faster than than I would ever imagine fire could move. I mean, it just jumped from tree to tree and crowned out and it was, it just was flat moving. Um, how, how close did it get to your house there where you're at? Uh, it burned, um, about the closest point to my house is, oh, I'm going to say 600 yards, a little less than a half a mile. Um, it came down the top of the ridge. Um, we actually had uh, of the group of locals that up the uh, group of locals that stayed behind, we had uh, a couple of uh, skitter operators, um, and of course, most of us knew how to run a chainsaw. So we went up and actually cleared a, a couple of fire lines on the top of that ridge to to block it from coming uh, down the top and through uh, quite a few of the houses of the men that had stayed behind. So uh, that helped to help to divert it for sure. Daniel, what has that fire done to the mule deer population in 3C? You know, at first it didn't it didn't act like it was going to do a whole lot. In fact, the the you know from about for about the first four years through about 2005 2006, we really didn't see much of a change in our in our mule deer population. Um, the elk was the elk were exploding. They were they were doing good. The uh, the quality was was on the rise the uh, numbers were on the rise but the mule deer it, it took them a while to kind of get reestablished um but then they uh they started to you know benefit off of all the new browse that was coming up in in 06 
uh, 07, 08, and then and then on through. Um, it created a a ton of new uh, forage and browse form that we didn't have before. Um, a lot of ground cover, um, a lot of uh, a lot of oak. Uh, young oak thickets that started growing up after that fire and juniper thickets that the deer just loved and uh i mean even today they just they thrive in them um how did how did the game and fish manage the numbers um i i believe they i know they shut the turkey hunting down i think they maybe really limited the elk down i think that's what made them really jump up did they did they shut the deer down for a year or two or did they just lower the numbers quite a bit they they lowered the numbers. Um, they never did actually shut it down. I think the I'm not trying to remember. I had a had a tag. I want to say in 03 or 04, um, and there was 150 tags. I do remember that. I want to say the year after in 03, it may have been down to 125. Um, it it stayed at 150 for a year or two. Um, I want to say 04, 05. And, uh, Starting in 06, they started to slowly increase them to 175, and then it uh, it finally got to the point where the deer were getting established, the numbers were up. Um, it was fairly common to just drive the roads and see you know see a group of does and, and bucks, and uh, I think it was around oh I know in 07 it it was still over the counter um, for the archery and the the rifle tag numbers started to creep up into that 250 range. Um, and then when it got to uh, 2009, they bumped it up to 300. Um, and then the next two years after that, it actually went as high as 350. Um, so it, they, they increased it as the population uh, started to increase. Um, however, in, in my opinion, I think they kind of overcompensated. Um, I would have preferred they took a little uh, slower approach to raising the tags. Um, because it, I mean, we've, in my opinion, I I, th I think we're still lagging behind a bit um, from just the large number of tags that were given out when when they were finally starting to reestablish. Numbers were up, quality was up. Uh, we were just hammering them with with so many tags and so much hunting pressure, um, and that that took its toll. It didn't take long, and it it really really started taking its toll. So, so what year would you say? or what series of years were probably some of the best trophy bucks in 3C? Well, I would I would say without a doubt 2010 was was by far our best year. Um the, in in 2010, um they still had the juniors hunt at that time. Um it was before they had changed it to an alternative management unit. Um and in 2010, we ended up shooting on the juniors hunt. Uh, we shot a 178 uh, four-point, um, uh, a 214 uh, buck, which is unheard of. And uh, then on the general season with with uh, 350 tags, we still managed to uh, to shoot 193-inch four-point. So um, that was that was by far one of our best years, best strings of, of bucks that we put together um, in 2010. And then, you know, since then, it just seems to have kind of slipped just a little bit um, with an occasional kind of bright spot in there. But uh, I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself uh, for the listeners that don't know Unit 3C. 
Um, could you give me the geographic boundaries um, of 3C so people can get an idea of where we're talking about? You bet. 3C is, uh, for the most part, it's it, it's along Highway 260. It actually runs on both sides um, of Highway 260 from Heber to Sholo. Um, and then heading uh, heading west towards Payson, um, just before you get to the Mogollon Rim, um, there's a uh, kind of the, the main divider that everyone knows it as is the Young Road, even though it does it does go down the Young Road a couple miles. Um, but but pretty much from from the Young Road to Heber, it's everything on the south side of Highway 260, um, and then it actually forks off at Highway 277. Uh, which takes you to Snowflake, and it's everything south of there all the way to the Fort Apache Indian Reservation, all the way to to Snowflake, and then and then heading south to Sholo, um, and then straight up through Sholo till until you hit the reservation boundary. When you were a kid, Daniel, and the forest was not burned, and you had a lot of timber. Um, growing up as a kid, did you see a lot of deer? Did you see a lot of big bucks? Um, talk to me a little bit of, of how things have changed or how they've remained the same. You know, uh, we did. I know I mentioned this in our in our uh, previous podcast when we were talking about elk. Um, when I was when I was growing up in high school, junior high, um, it, all all we had around here for the most part was deer. Um, every now and then, you would would see an elk. Um, but for the most part, our, our forest was comprised of, of deer. Uh, I can remember numerous evenings that we'd go out and spotlight as kids. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty common to see 10, 12, 15, 20 bucks in an evening. And, uh, I mean, just thinking back in my mind, I can remember a couple of them were, were big. And of course, everything seems bigger when you're young, but I can remember some really big bucks, um, there were there were quite a few big bucks that were killed um back in those days by by a lot of the old timers um and then and then the deer you know for some reason the deer uh by the way by the way not to interrupt you but you know now you're entered into now you're the old timer right i know i know <laughs> reminding me jay <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> hey i'll always be one step ahead of you <laughs> actually two 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 steps in two years ahead of you yeah two years is right yeah but, um yeah go ahead and it, it used to be uh it used to be great for deer we used to see deer all the time as, as a kid and then I can remember, uh, shoot, I can remember for my 14th birthday, you know, only in a small town does this happen, but I convinced my mom and dad to take me and five of my friends out in the middle of the woods, drop us off, and for my 14th birthday, we went camping. And uh, my birthday is September 18th, so, I mean, it was right dead set in the middle of the of the elk rut, and, and I remember these elk just bugling all around our campfire and our tent, so we went out that night and we're just screaming at elk. I mean, we didn't even have a diaphragm, a call. We were just using our voices to, to bugle elk. And, and we chased elk until midnight, came back to our camp, went to sleep, got up the next morning. They woke us up in the morning and off we went again, chasing elk, screaming at them and bugling and raking on trees. And, uh, and that was kind of one of my first introductions into to elk hunting, to be honest with you. Um, prior to that, it was all, it was all mule deer. Wow, that's a pretty cool story. Uh, Daniel, we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors, and we'll get right back with you. Okay. 
Guys, as you know, GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast. And I want to tell you, you get a free $50 Kuyu gift card if you sign up for the GoHunt.com Insider. All you have to do is click on the blue Join Now button, use the promo code JSCOTT at closing, and they will send you an electronic gift card that you can use at Kuyu. I wanted to tell you why hunters prefer the GoHunt Insider. There's unit analysis, statewide overview and summaries, state rules and regulations, species summary and trophy quality, application strategy articles, email reminders and notifications, quick and easy mobile access. You've got interactive game management unit maps, analysis of every season and species. You've got five-year harvest success and tag quota. Uh, satellite imagery and terrain photos, camping and lodging recommendations, detailed on access and access issues, real-time rain and drought tracking, plus you get free gear and hunt giveaways, you get a free go hunt hat, and if you sign up using the J. Scott Outdoors, uh, or excuse me, the J. Scott promo code, you get a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is Hit the blue Join Now button and use the promo code JSCOTT. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. So, Daniel, what makes 3C a good area for mule deer in your mind? Geographically, habitat, all that different stuff. What What is it that you said earlier that they're managing it as a quality management area? Or I forget the word you used, but... Talk to me a little bit about why they've chosen 3C in your mind uh, to, to, to make a good mule deer area. Well, you know, um, in 2012, they decided to make 3C an alternative management unit, which means they were going to manage it differently to, to manage it for, for trophy mule deer or for an older age class of mule deer. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing is it, it was already a natural mule deer habitat um, back in the 80s. And I mean, even earlier than that, really, in the 70s and the 80s, um, you know, clear up until the elk really started to, to explode in the late 80s and, and early 90s. Um, so it was already a kind of a grandfathered in natural mule deer habitat. Um, and then after the fire, um, like I said, just all the browse and all the all the feed, uh, the new feed that came up that, that the mule deer just thrive on, um, really turned it into the, just a, a, a deer heaven. Um, I think another thing that really helps it is, uh, and, and it kind of goes along with the elk as well, is, is the entire 3C boundary to the south is the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. And it's, it's got to be 80 miles, I'm guessing. Um, of boundary to the south that borders that reservation. Um, and what a lot of people probably don't realize is that the Fort Apache Indian Reservation, they do have mule deer hunts on there for tribal, tribal members only. They do not offer mule deer tags to non-tribal members. Um, and they, they limit the number of tags. They have a general season. And then they also do something similar. They do a, like a governor-style tag, a reservation um, wide tag that they that they give out to to one lucky person where they can hunt um, the entire reservation. Um, and I know the last couple of years um, that buck that has been taken with that uh, 
with that uh, reservation tag has come off of the west side, which is is the 3C boundary side. Um, so I know that helps as well uh, tremendously for the for the deer to be able to have a little bit of a retreat and a sanctuary there that they can retreat to and and not not get the pressure that that typically they would in inside of the the unit 3C. What is the typical pattern uh, when these bucks in the summer in the velvet? Are they up in 3C in the summer and then as fall p- comes on, then they move back down to the reservation or is it the exact opposite? No, you're right. They uh, There's kind of a, a transition point there, kind of in the middle of the unit, um, it seems like. And I, I mean, it's, it's kind of hit and miss. Um, but when winter hits, um, we get a lot of that snowpack that... Uh, the majority of that Mogollon rim um, on the on the southern end of 3C is all north-facing slopes. So once we start getting snow in the wintertime, it, it packs in there. Um, it will typically stay for two, three, four months um, on, in an average winter. So a lot of those bucks will retreat to the reservation uh, because all the, the reservation side of the Mogollon rim is all south-facing. So it gets all the sun, the snow burns off faster, the feed greens up quicker. Um, the, there's more moisture. Um, so they'll, they'll retreat there in the wintertime. Uh, once you get down, uh, closer to highway 260, um, those bucks will tend to stay there, um, and even move north a little bit in the wintertime. Um, we've seen, we've seen bucks move down into there, um, in December and January during the rut. Um, they'll move north across highway 260 and down into that lower cedar country where, well, they're, and they'll they'll spend the rut down there. You would say in the summer during the archery season, though, that most of the deer are south of the 260, and uh, then in the rifle season, it's anybody's guess they could be north or south. Yeah, I mean they they transition over um, as as it starts to get hot, you know, on the reservation and the snow melts, and it starts to green up more on that north facing side of the rim, and then they'll move up on top. Typically during the archery season, I would say that there's the majority of your 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 mule deer herd in general is south of 260. But there's there's definitely some resident deer that live um, north of 260, and they're along Highway 260 that will will spend the winter, spend the year in there. Let's talk about um, the hunts and the actual tag numbers. Uh, I believe they have an archery hunt uh, and, and a general rifle season. Tell me kind of the rough dates of those and, and the rough numbers and um, kind of your prediction and, and how what kind of year you think it's going to be. Okay, there are uh, there's the two hunts. There's the archery hunt. Um, it typically starts the 22nd, 23rd, 24th of August, um, and it runs for three weeks. Um, there's 100 tags. It is a draw tag. It, it's one of the few... Um, draw archery units uh, in the state. Um, this year there's 100 tags down from uh, 150 last year and down from 200 the two or three uh, years previous to that. Um, they changed it to a draw when they went to the alternative management in 2012. Um, this is the lowest number of archery tags we've had in the unit this year. Um, and then of course in October, typically starting around the 20 fourth, uh, fifth, sixth um, of October is the uh, the general rifle season, and there are 125 tags um, 
in, uh, during that hunt. Um, and last year it was 125. Um, previous to that, uh, it was 225. And, um, and like I said, back in 2010 and 11, I want to say it was up around 350. Um, those, those couple of years. So yeah, they've definitely decreased the number of tags. Seems like we're going in the right direction to maybe get some quality back. We are, we are. And that's what they're striving for. They've, um, one of the requirements, if you, if you do draw a deer tag in the unit is they, uh, they do require a, a tooth for aging, um, which has been kind of cool, kind of unique. Um, just because we've, you know, we've kind of guessed the ages on a lot of bucks and now, we're harvesting these bucks with clients and sending in teeth and, uh, and, um, finally getting some, some data back and knowing actually how old a lot of these bucks are that we're, that we're harvesting. So, um, it's kind of, it's kind of cool, kind of interesting to see some of the age of, of some of the deer. Um, it's actually been a little bit of an eye opener to me, kind of surprising. Um, it's a lot of people think, well, the older the deer, the bigger the rack. Well, I can I can tell you that is 100% not the case. Um, and it, what, it's what year it's are you strictly, finding that they're kind of at their peak, Daniel? Sorry to interrupt. You. Um, oh, no problem, no problem. Um, well, just to give you an example, um, two years ago, 2013, um, we had three clients in Unit 3C on the rifle hunt. Um, one of those clients, uh, Jack Kohler, killed a 35-inch uh, wide 4x5 that scored 194. Um, the two days later, another client of ours, Steve, he killed a 3x4 that was 31 inches wide um, and scored right at 170. Um, amazingly enough, those bucks were within a year of each other in age. Uh, the 194 inch buck was six years old and the three by four that scored 170 was seven years old. Um, so, you know, that, that right there tells me that there's a lot that does, that has to do with genetics. Um, if, if the deer's got the right genetics, then, you know, the kind of the, the sky's the limit. Um, as long as they can get the nutrition, they can get the age that they need. Um, as long as they can put all those things together, then, then they can become whatever they want to be. How are the genetics, uh, in general in 3C? You know, I think they're pretty good. Um, they're, we're no Arizona strip by any means. We don't, we don't profess to be, um, there's, we do have, um, and we've seen it more and more every year. We do have a kind of a three-point gene that uh, I would like to see gone. Obviously, it doesn't. Uh, you'll get a lot of big-framed three points. We've killed, uh, for example, the, the buck that Steve killed was a 31-inch wide uh, three by four. Um, we've killed uh, another 30, uh, 31-inch wide three by three the year before that. Um, there's there's definitely a three-point genetic. Um, that that kind of hinders us, kind of kind of hurts us. Um, you do see a lot of four points. Uh, typically, we don't see a lot of bucks with extras, uh, wide bucks. I mean, normally we don't we don't typically see wide bucks. I mean, a 35 inch wide buck out of 3C is you know kind of a 
kind of a unicorn. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's got a pretty good genetic for that 170 to 190 inch type buck. Um, but very rarely do we, do we get over that. I want to shift gears for just a second and bounce away from 3C. Um, you had a strip tag. Was it last year? It was 2013. I was going to say, it seemed my, my mind gets fuzzy sometimes. I remember going on the hunt, but I couldn't remember if it was last year or well, 2013. That's, that's because you're 42. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what another year will do. Um I remember going on that hunt for a few days, and um, you ended up harvesting an awesome typical buck. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience up there and uh, first time having a tag uh, on the strip, and walk me through that a little bit. Oh, well, it was, uh, like you said, it was the first year I'd ever had a, a tag on the strip, had uh, had waited quite a few years. Um, between me and my father-in-law, we had uh, we had 12 points. Um so we had uh, we'd been waiting, wanted to get a strip tag, and uh, you know you think of the strip and you hear the strip and you see all these ginormous bucks coming off of there and the text pictures that start going around of all these all these just absolute giants that come off of there, and it, it's uh, it, it's humbling. You really don't you really don't understand it completely and fully until you get up there and until you are in that country um it is it is giant giant fast country um and there's not a lot of deer so it's it's not uncommon to go up there and see two or three does and a and a buck in a day uh to see no deer in a day uh i remember the very first time i went to the strip i actually went up um and and hunted with a uh former elk client of mine and uh, got up there, hiked up on top of this big mountain, and spent the entire day up there glassing. Didn't even break for lunch, didn't break for a nap. Glassed the entire day, and as soon as the sun went down, I realized that I had not spotted a single deer that day, and it was the opening day of the deer season. I thought, man, this is brutal, and uh, that's kind of the way my hunt was. It was, uh, it was extremely hot that year, um, I'm sure you remember me walking around in, in camp wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt and, I mean, it was just. Seems like I remember one time you were walking around in just hey, flip-flops, hey, but hey, hey. <laughs> that's something that I've tried to block out of my mind. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a family show, so we'll keep that rolling, but, uh, it was hot it was and, hot. um. We had a full moon. It was hot. Uh, there was no rut. Um, anyways, we. We grinded it out for uh, for eight days, and uh, just when I had pretty much told myself and convinced myself that, hey, I'm going home with a tag in my pocket, and this sucks, and there's no other way to, you know, summarize the hunt, but it's just, it is what it is. We, you know, we gave it our all. We did everything we could, uh, just as I had, had pretty much made up my mind and, and come to terms with it. The unthinkable happened, and uh, the buck that we were after walked out and was was headed to water. And I got set up and waited for him to to get to water. We were sitting on a hill about 270 yards above him, and just as he got to the water, I let it rip and uh, and harvested a, a 208 inch typical four point. Um, I mean, just 
I, I can still remember the feelings and emotions that I, I had that day with the, with my good buddy Ben Williams on the hill with me and and it was it was awesome it was it was it was humbling it was uh it was addicting I'll tell you I I, I want to get back up there um I want another I want another tag I want to do over I I told myself I, I I'm a sucker for giant typicals always have been uh, I love giant typical mule deer but I I told myself hey I got a strip tag it's known for its massive heavy trashy awesome bucks and i had i had decided that i'm going to shoot something with with mass with extras and and that's what i wanted and uh wouldn't you know what i come home with a with a big typical instead so <laughs> but i'll take it I'll, I'll absolutely take it yeah he's a beautiful buck for sure um bouncing back to 3c with the juniors hunt gone i i feel like the juniors hunt was in early october and it, it it took a lot, you know, it was great for guiding because you could kill a couple good bucks because they were kind of still in their summer patterns. But do you feel like with the junior hunt being gone that the quality of deer will probably go up if they keep it the same for a couple of years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that junior hunt was fun. I, I mean, I'll I'll be the first to tell you it was one of the funnest hunts I've, I've been on. Um, you know, the, the bucks were still in their summer patterns. They were some of them were still in velvet. Some of them were just coming out of velvet. Um, very docile, very calm. They hadn't been harassed, and that's that's one thing that we unfortunately have to deal with on that 3C rifle hunt is is a lot of um, harassment, and we'll get into that a little later, I'm sure. But um, um, you know, just a just an awesome hunt, and, and yeah, they had 125 tags um, set aside for the juniors um, starting in about 09. Um, clear up through 2011, and then in 2012, when they decided to go alternative management, um, they dropped it to 25. Um, and then they decided, well, we don't have any alternative management junior hunts in any of the rest of the units, so let's drop the junior hunt. We'll give it to the general people, and uh, then they went up to 225, just a straight across trade on tags, and went to 225 in the general in 2013, and then have since dropped it a hundred down to the 125 that it is, but yeah, it's going to, it's definitely going to help the unit. Um, I've talked to a lot of guys and, and told them that, you know, this, this unit is only going to get better with time because as long as we have 125 tags and a hundred to 150 archery tags, um, we're going to start getting a huge recruitment of bucks every year that make it through yep. another year. Because the archery hunt with the hunt, what is it, 100 tags? The success, I'm just guessing, I don't know, but it, what is it, about 30%? Oh, no, it's way below that. Okay, so, it, I mean. Less than 20. Last year was the highest success rate that they've had, um, and I want to say it was 18, 19. I know, I know it was under 20. And the two years previous to that, I want to say it hovered right around 15. So, okay, so 15, say 15 to 20 bucks get killed in the archery season, and then the 125 rifle tags, I'm assuming it'll be a 90, 80, 90% success? Uh, it's actually, last year was 74, I believe. Uh, okay, so, I, I mean, say 75, so only about 100 bucks this year yeah, are going to get shot. About 100 bucks a year that will get killed, um, and we're, I think we're easily getting that recruitment you know, in a year between your fawns, um, just to just to kind of prove that point, um, in the Game and Fish survey last year, when they surveyed deer, 
Um, they actually surveyed 64 fawns to every 100 does, which was almost uh, not quite double, but it was a, a huge increase uh, in their survey. Um, the crazy thing is they actually surveyed less bucks last year um, than they did in the year previous. And that's one of the reasons they decided to keep it at that 125 tags. Uh, to be honest with you, I wish they'd leave it at 125 for about the next three or four years um, until until the, the mule deer get established again. Uh, we start getting that age class, you know, those genetics, the feed, um, the nutrients. And, and I think it can turn back into the, you know, the 2000, 2009, 2010, 2011 types of years. Yeah, I hope it does. Um, Daniel, what tactics do you use to hunt the deer on the archery season, and what tactics do you use on the rifle season? You know, on the archery, um, it, it's a little bit different. It, it's almost a a 100% spot and stock. Um, there's so much water and so many salt licks in the unit um, that you'll get bucks that will hit it, um, you know, and running trail cameras, you'll get bucks that'll come through every two weeks um, and, and hit your salt lick. But there's so many salt licks and so much water that, that they can, they can kind of be wherever they want to be. They can go wherever they want to go. Um, so on the archery hunt, I would say it, it's almost 95% uh, spot and stock. And then Daniel, Let's take a quick break here and hear from our sponsors. Guys, I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of this podcast. DeadeyeOutfitters.com is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. Check out episode 45 of this podcast with one of the owners and you'll see what I mean. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. Use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Okay, so the archery hunt, spot and stock, and then the rifle hunt? You know, the rifle hunt is uh, pretty much the same. Um, by October, uh, a lot of the oak leaves are gone, um, so a lot of the greenery is off of the trees. It makes uh, visibility uh, and glassing um, a lot easier. and uh, we, I would say, since 2007, 2006, um, we have we have primarily been uh, spotting, stalking bucks uh, on that rifle hunt. Glass them up, work in, get embedded, work in, get a get within a rifle range and and whack them. So, um, I, I have heard of a couple of guys um, trying to sit water in certain areas. There are there are some spots in the unit that that aren't. Um, aren't very susceptible to glassing, um, just too flat, um, not enough, uh, not enough elevation and vantage points. Um, so I have heard of a few guys, uh, trying to sit water, sit assault, sit a, sit on the edge of a Canyon, try to catch them out, out feeding. Um, but primarily, um, you know, getting a high vantage point, glass them up and then, uh, playing the cat and mouse game with them. Daniel, um, how does the pressure affect the deer movements and the patterns? Um, I, I know it has to. I, I think with 125 tags this year on the rifle, it's going to be way better. But 
you know, they get jostled around the whole archery elk season. Uh, there's probably some cow hunts. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about the, the pressure. Oh, uh, here's the sad reality of 3C. Starting from about August 22nd, 23rd, whenever the archery deer season starts, um, they're, they're chased then by uh, this year. It's going to be 100 archery tags. So there'll be 100 people out in the woods chasing mule deer uh, for three weeks straight. Um, towards the end of that hunt, all your elk scouters come in. They start scouting elk. And then it rolls right into the two-week-long archery elk hunt in 3C which takes place the first middle part of September. The second that hunt ends, the early rifle hunt starts and runs for a week. Um, the second that hunt ends, they actually have a four-day break in there um, before any other hunt starts. But then we start right in with a junior cow hunt that goes for a week, and that general cow hunt that goes for 10 days and then we actually get another four-day break just before the start of the rifle deer season. So they pretty much get nonstop pressure starting in August, the end of August, um, with stop people and traffic and getting bumped by elk hunters and by cow hunters. Um, and so pressure is, is huge. Um, and because of that, the, these bucks tend to gravitate to little pockets that they – that they know that they like um and we found that that kind of year after year they're they're in these same pockets um unless there's 20 cow elk hunters that go into this one pocket and they're they're hunting cows in there and shooting and packing them out um then they'll leave and they'll go to another pocket but the the deer in 3c especially the bucks during that rifle season um they become extremely concentrated into these little pockets and and it can make it pretty hard to find i mean they can make it where it's a it's a challenge and it's difficult um there's there's been every year i can think of uh, a buck that we had found and we're watching and inevitably during that general cow season i want to say there's 350 to 400 tags um people come in there guns a blazing rangers four-wheelers trucks packing them out walking canyons and they they end up blowing the deer out and every year we lose a buck that we want to hunt, want to try to kill um, because of that nonstop pressure. Well, that's too bad, but that's why that's why you're in business, uh, being a local guy and knowing where they like to hang. Um, I'm sure it's very difficult for people that don't live up there. And, you know, one of the things I've hunted with you so much up there for turkeys and elk and everything else is, blows my mind every time I hunt with you and you and Mike and it's just like I'll be like yeah that turkey was gobbling and you're like he flew down to the south didn't he I'm like yeah he's you're like and then he walked by that one downed log didn't he and I'm like (laughs) dude I mean can an animal not move in the unit without you knowing about it yes they can Jay not many (laughs) I, I, I can attest to that but it's been fun hunting with you guys up there because of how well you know it. I mean, I can call you on the phone and be like, I'm on this ridge. Okay, I know where you're at. And then you'll see like, you'll go down another couple hundred yards. There'll be a skid trail to your right. Take it down and cross up the next ridge and it'll put you over on such and such road. And I'll be like, it's it's crazy how well you guys know that. But I mean, I guess if you born and raised and got dropped off out in the middle of nowhere to just uh, fend for yourselves when you were little, uh, you would do that. Well, it's, I mean... (laughs) 
you know, it amazes me that the more we hunt, the more we still learn little little things every year. It seems like, but um, that it, it is. It, it's hard to to compete with local knowledge. Um, you know, knowing yeah. knowing a lot of the the little cuts and canyons and crevices. I mean, you know, especially with the with these deer in October, um, I can go back to the same five or six cuts every year, and there's always bucks in them. And they're they're cuts that nobody nobody messes with during the elk hunts. Nobody wants to walk down in there and and cross over into these little fingers and cuts. And inevitably, every year we we've got bucks in there. It's just a matter of having the right bucks. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 fun. There's no doubt about it. It's a it's a blast. Daniel, will it surprise you on the archery hunt if someone shoots a 200 inch deer? And the same question for the rifle hunt this year. <sighs> Yeah, I would say yes. And and the reason I say that is uh 3C is just not it's got great genetics. Um but not that good of genetics. Um you know, every now and then there there's a buck that pops up that that surprises us. Um you know, there was the the one that uh, Olivia shot on the junior hunt that was 214. I mean, that that buck we we found him you know, prior to that hunt and, and watched him, uh, her brother Spencer and I sat there one day and we're watching him and, and running numbers. And neither one of us wanted to say that he was 200 because it was unheard of for a 200 inch deer to come out of 3C. So neither one of us had the gall to say it. So we, we had him down at, you know, between 185 and 198. We just, we couldn't say the 200 mark. Um, and, uh, you know, there, it has the genetics. Um, the, the reservation, um, I think, uh, not last year, but the two years prior to that, on their on their uh, reservation wide tag um, that they issued their governor style tag, um, I saw both of those bucks, and I want to say that the one was two fourteen, uh, maybe two seventeen, and the other one was like two o six. So they they've obviously got good genetics. Um, but it, it would surprise me. I, I would be surprised. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Jack killed that 194, 35 inch wide buck. Um, that buck surprised me. He, he absolutely shocked me. I, I could not believe what, uh, what I was seeing. I thought, man, this is, this is something that belongs, you know, in the Kayabab, not in 3C. Um, but it's. <laughs> so the next question is if they keep the tag numbers the same next year. Would it surprise you if someone shoots a 200 on the archery and someone shoots a 200 on the rifle? Same tag numbers. I, I would say this. It would always surprise me if somebody shoots a 200 on the archery hunt. And the reason I say that is our deer rut um, quite a bit later than, than Utah, than the Arizona Strip, than, than Colorado. Um, because of that, they tend to shed a lot later. They'll shed their antlers a lot later. And because of that, they tend to grow and progress a lot later in the year than the strip bucks, than the Utah bucks. Um, so you, you've got bucks into October that are still sporting velvet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The majority of our bucks won't, uh, won't start rubbing until the very end of September, first part of October. Um, that okay. junior hunt used to be the first Friday. Uh, I want to say it hovered right around the 9th, 10th of October. Um, and there were numerous bucks killed on that hunt that were in full velvet, and the ones that were killed out of velvet had had 
only recently rubbed in the last day or two. So um, our, our bucks won't won't fully mature and be full grown until about the middle of September, um, which you know typically if you're if you're shooting them the last part of October, uh, we'll see it regularly where where they're really soft and still balled up on their on their points. Um, wow. So they'll they'll get a lot of of, of shrinkage when they dry. Um, so it would it would always surprise me if there was ever a 200 inch deer killed on the archery hunt on the rifle hunt. It probably wouldn't surprise me here in the next two to three years if uh, if another 200 incher comes out of three C. Daniel, um, I want to finish this episode with getting a few tips from you on field judging. Uh, mule deer, what you look for in, in for a deer to be big? Uh, well, I wait for Brick Bundy to send me pictures from the Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. I, I know they're big. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and hello to Breck, our good friend of the podcast. Uh, had a ball up there with you and him on your hunt, and uh, look forward to seeing him again. Great guy. Can't can't find a better guy. Well, I actually just talked to him today, and he sent me a couple of pictures, and I just I just drooled. It's not right, but I know. Um, you know, I think a couple of things you need to realize um, in three C. I, I guess anywhere outside of the Kayabab and the and the Strip, um, our our deer down here do have a, a quite a bit smaller body, a smaller build than than a lot of the northern Arizona bucks, um, and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very uncommon for us to see a 25-inch main beam. Um, I would say our average beam length is probably 22 to 24, um, and, and 24 is a good beam. You mean average or on good bucks? You're talking on good bucks, I'm talking right? on good bucks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, um, the other thing is the mass. I mean, we, we just – our bucks, uh, of all the deer that we've killed um, – Olivia's by far had the best best mass, the 214 buck, and, and I still want to say he was only 21 inches of mass per side, so so 42 inches of total mass, which you know for around here is phenomenal. Um, for the strip, that's kind of kind of average, um, you know, maybe slightly above average. Typically, our bucks around here average between 16 and 18 inches of mass per side, um, so that's that's something you've always got to kind of remember. Um, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like sheep, you know, you kind of need to know the unit that you're going into the average bases. Um, it, it plays into the mule deer in three C as well. Uh, so like if you, if you see a buck that your eye tells you is 180, it's probably 170. You, you kind of got to deduct about 10 inches yes. just from your eyeball judge. Yes. Yep. They, I mean, they're, they've got big bodies. Um, three, they're, they're starting to pack on some weight, um, starting to get really big bodies. Um, and so that will, that will kind of throw you at first. Um, you'll see kind of a smaller rack and think, oh, he's, he's not that big. Um, but then when you kind of start paying a little more attention and running the numbers, then they, they can, they can definitely fool you. But, but yeah, the beams, I mean, I, I've seen guys do it time after time. They overestimate the beams. Um, they overestimate the mass. You know, the length is, is the length. The length is what it is. Um, it's the beams and the mass that will kill you. Uh, the other thing is is a inside spread of our mule deer. Our our 
typical mature buck is probably going to be between 22 and 23 inches um, in his inside. Ear, yeah, in his ear spread. If, if okay. from ear tip to ear tip, he's whereas on the strip there'll be like 24 to 26. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. We're going to be 22 to 24. They're going to be 24 to 26. Um, it, it, you know, they just have a they're a little bit smaller build um, of a deer, and uh, so those. Those three things are, are things that we always tend to, to look at, um, you know, spread, always check them with their ears. We'll always figure 22-inch ears um, regardless, um, and that's that's helped us. Um, beams, we always tend to try to short our beams because we, we're not known for having um, a great beam genetic um, in 3C. I'm, I'm trying to think of the longest main beam that I've measured in 3C, and I would venture to say it's probably 25. Um, and uh, then, you know, the other is the mass. I mean, 16, 16, 17, if, if you're getting into a heavier buck, maybe 18, but that's that's about it. That's about your average typical mass for the unit. Well, that's, those are some good tips. Uh, I know some guys that uh, have the 3C tag this year will be listening, and, and um, surely that'll help them. And I want to thank you for being with us uh, today. And um uh, you know, I look forward to always hunting around you and being around you. You're one of my great friends, and I appreciate uh, your friendship over the years. And we've had a had a some some great times over the years, and I uh, look forward to many more of them. And absolutely, and, uh, you always seem to have a way to make me laugh. And uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, being a, having uh, being a father of of five girls, and uh, so you're you know you're outnumbered. Uh, I can understand sometimes how you just uh, you you crack up and and you got to keep everything fun because um, I'm sure having five girls you there are times when you want to pull your hair out uh, although they're great girls. Well, you you you've never seen uh, estrogen drama until you've been to my house once a week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with that being said, yeah, they are phenomenal girls and you've got a great family and I always love uh, coming up there and spending time with you guys and uh, and you're always welcome yep i know the scott wing is always ready to go and um it's always available so you'll leave the light on for me so um i know we've got a great fall coming up i know you've got elk clients and deer clients and you've got a friend with the sheep tag and um i know you're on cloud nine and looking forward to 2015 like i am so Um, until I see you next time, buddy, God bless you. And, and, um, I know you're going to be pounding them hard. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how you guys do at Burnt Timber Outfitters. I wanted to give you a chance to, um, tell my listeners, um, how they can, uh, follow along with you and, uh, how they can reach you. Um, well, we've got a couple of different ways. We've got our, our website, burnttimberoutfitters.com. Um, um, it's also, there's, there's a link on there to our blog, which, uh, I've got to admit, we have not uh, updated in quite a while. Um, in fact, I think we even got kicked off of, uh, off of your blog because of inactivity. <laughs> I'm still, a I remember that. you calling me going, what is that all about? I said, well, if you don't update in six months, you get booted off. Yep. yep that's right. So, but I know you have Instagram and Facebook as well. Instagram and Facebook. Um, I've actually been fairly recent to uh, Instagram, and I, uh, I've taken a liking to it. I actually like it uh, a little better than Facebook. But uh, I did yeah, just Daniel Franco on Facebook and uh, Franco underscore BTO uh, on Instagram. So, 
Awesome. Awesome, buddy. Well, I hope you have a great season. I look forward to seeing you when I do see you. And um, until next time, God bless you and, and uh, tell the girls hello and, and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Will do. Thank you, Jay. Same to you. All right, buddy. Take care.